Um, I want to introduce to y'all that may not know Terry. This is Terry Fisher. If you would welcome him. And uh, his wife, Joy, is with us. Pastor Tyler and their family is with us. And we're so glad that we have some of them from Wisconsin. And so I, I just wanted to take just a very quick and brief introduction. This is one of my greatest friends, without a doubt. And um, this is a man in whom there is no guile. It's one of the most raw and honest people you will ever meet. And, and I say this with all sincerity. I believe one of the greatest churches in America is the church in Wisconsin. Um, I, and I don't say that lightly. But truly, led by this great man and Joy, his wife, um, just has produced an exceptional group of believers in Wisconsin and serving the Lord, and it's an honor to know him, to have him as a friend. I'm very grateful that he could be here and he could speak to us this morning. And so, thank you, Terry. Hey, thank and you. Just choking me up. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, do I can your... do more if you. <laughs> <laughs> your pastor is an awesome, great, great friend. And think about since 2011, we it was love at first sight <laughs> when we met. You know, you're, it's a real privilege to be here. You're, you're special people. Your church is similar to ours. A lot of young people. We've had young, just young, almost toddlers come into the altar. And sometimes they just come up because other people do. And, you know, but getting used to, you know, getting in the presence of God, getting before him. And, and just thank you, Pastor, for having me. And uh, what a blessing. I, I know um, that the Lord is... Uh, that you're special to the Lord. I went through, you know, God just doesn't want anybody up here just saying a bunch of stuff. He wants purpose and he wants authority and power. And the Lord took me through five weeks, three days, and four and a half hours of humbling before I came here. That's how much he loves you. <laughs> and I had to wear a catheter with a leg, a bag strapped to my leg. And uh, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but I'm an active man, and it's just a humble thing to do that. So he did all of that. So I would stand up here humble this morning <laughs> before you all. So I got a, I got a lot, uh, a lot of scriptures. So they're going to be up on the screen to help us get through quicker don't have much much time and as long as I keep on yapping I'm going to use that time up so let's just get into it Lord I ask for your blessing your anointing God everything you want me to say let it be said Lord God and let us receive each one in Jesus name amen there's a as we know we're familiar being Pentecostals back in the early 1900s it was a powerful revival it basically shook the world, sent missionaries all over the world, and today has probably still had the most impact in, in world missions. And it was called the Azusa Street Revival. Out of that came denominations, Church of God, Church of God in Christ, Assemblies of God, uh, Church of God, uh, Gary, Indiana, Church of God of Prophecy. All of these different offshoots of denominational churches have come out of this revival. You're back in the late 80s or early 90s, a man in our southeast area of Wisconsin, Ron Ock, he had wrote a book, Pentecostals in Crisis. Today you can buy it. It's called The Church in Crisis. But in there, he, uh, he, he, he brought out pat revivals of the past. And one thing 
many of them had in common is by the third generation, they lost their power. And uh, the first generation had what they, he called the power encounter. And that power encounter, if you've ever gotten one, that's still driving you today. You just really met the Lord. You really just let go of everything. And today you're just loving them like you, you did before and even and even better. And we even see in the, you know, today we just have, uh, uh, you know, the, the first generation has the power encounter. And then from there, they just end up having a form of godliness without any power. We see an example of this in our very Bible. And the church birthed around 33 A.D. And when Paul or John's penning those seven letters to the churches, this is only 60-some 60, 60 years later, five of those churches are being told to repent already. So it's, it's easy. It's, we can see how the church can run astray. By the way, I just have to throw this in. There's two churches that weren't told to repent. Instead of giving in this, like, we got we got to have something wrong with us, let's be, believe together that we can be, have a church that honors God. That he can look at us and say, there's nothing with these people. I believe that. We can have that. So I want to preach today about this three generations of churches. And I call this sermon, The Fight, The Fame, and The Failure. And it's not my intention to leave you discouraged at the end of this but to encourage you. After all, this is the Encouraged Conference. Amen? So I'm going to... David, he's the fighter. This is three generations. Solomon, his son, he's the fame. And Rehoboam, Solomon's son, is the failure. You already know that in in your mind. So I want to introduce to you first David, the fighter. One day his dad, Jesse, uh, tells him, here, I got some grilled cheeses I need you to take. To your brothers, they, they they followed Saul. Your three older brothers, they went to war, and so David he takes those grilled cheeses with him, and he goes goes wandering into the valley, into the camp, and he sees his brothers, and sees the army of Israel uh, heading to the battle line and and, and shouting, and uh, so David it says he ran to to greet them. You know he's got to take the word word back to his his dad, and while he was there, he heard this boast coming from Goliath. That he's been doing, give me a man to fight, to fight with me. And, uh, uh, and, uh, he's, he's also saying, and I think this is what cooked his goose. He says, I defy the armies of Israel. You gotta remember, this is just not any ordinary army. This is God's army, the army of Israel. Amen. And, and David, up to this point, it's said about him that he was a very skillful heart player. He was a man of valor, a man of war. He was prudent in speech. He was handsome. But the most important, the, or we learned in our chapter before, that the Spirit of God came upon him and it remained with him. Amen? Not like Samson, who came and gone, but it stayed with David. That's how we have so many Psalms, because he just had that, that, that way with the Lord. And... Um, so, uh, and again, those other qualities don't mean much of anything if you don't have the Spirit of God. Amen? Too many people depend on all of their abilities and talents. The Spirit of the Lord already departed from Saul. He took an office position. This is what's happened when David comes into camp. The armies running scared. They, are, they had no one to lead them. They were overwhelmed with fear. And if you'd go into church like that today, you'd say, this is pathetic supposed to be warriors for the Lord. 
That's what David walked in upon. In 1 Samuel 17, 26-30 says, Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, what, sh- what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Goliath says, I defy the armies of Israel. But David says, no, what he really is doing, he's defying the armies of the living God. That was a big mistake, Goliath, that you made. And the people answered him in in this manner, saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why do you come down here? And with whom have you left those few measly little sheep, you little punky brother? I know your pride. <laughs> I know your, uh, your pride and insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said to the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. So I believe... You know, in the first, there's a young believer reading that. I couldn't quite figure, like, why is David asking it? But I believe the Lord showed me what was really going on. I believe David was frustrated. First of all, I'm sure he's proud his brothers are in the army. And I'm thinking he's coming into camp and he's going to see some exceptional soldiers and brave men. I think there was a sense of frustration. It's like, why are these guys running? It's only even one, it's one giant only. But then, you know, Saul, he made that offer to people that if you defeat this giant, I'll give you one of my, I'll give you my daughter for your bride. I'll give you many blessings and your father won't have to pay taxes. So David, here's that. And at first I was thinking like, well, is David interested? But here's what I believe David was doing. He was trying to provoke these supposed trained soldiers. Like, it's like this. He's like going up like, what did what did Saul offer? Are you hearing that? Come on, you know how to do this. You belong to the armies of the living God. This is nothing. Don't you want to collect on what what the king has offered? And and then they they you know his brother shuts him down. He goes over to these guys like, come on, anybody hear this? Come on, go collect. All you got to do is is topple his giant, and how blessed you will be. And I believe he felt the frustration and nobody would. So he says, well, then I'll collect. <laughs> then I'll do it. Whatever. So David, you know, I, you know, David understood, David understood a scripture that's in our New Testament Bible, Romans. And this is the thing about the word of God. The word of God, if Christ is in you, the word of God is in us. But David already knew in his heart, if God be for us. Who can be against us? And that wasn't going to be penned for many centuries. But he knew it in his heart already. That's the the awesome thing about the the Word of God. It speaks to us on the inside. So David topples the giant. And then it says in 1 Samuel 17, 52, Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sherim, even as far as Gath and Ekron. So up to this point, the last maneuvers the military ever did, Israel military has run from the giant. Now all of a sudden, just like that, the same army that was running away from the Philistine and the Philistines are now chasing the Philistines. It's the very same army. 
What's the difference? A man of God came into camp. A man on whom the Spirit of God is came into camp. Those that were dreadfully afraid now are chasing down the enemy. A new leader, a man on whom the Spirit of God is. And sometimes, and maybe many times today in this current church age, all we need is a good leader. And praise God you have one here. Hallelujah. <laughs> praise the Lord. Hallelujah. There are dormant saints that so many, I call them the remnant. All they need is someone to rise up and lead them. You know, do all kinds of things for the kingdom of God. So revivalists come to Israel. But that comes with a cost. David, David was a reviled man. Saul, who, the king who he was faithful to, was constantly, several times, tried to kill him. Hunting him down. I don't know how long of a period that was. But I was thinking, boy, I was anointed to be king, but this is, I don't think this is going to happen. And King Saul's trying to kill me. And then later we learned after he's a king that his son Absalom turned many, most of Israel, away from David. There's a cost to being sold out to the Lord. And his own wife, Michael, despised the way he worshipped God. Aren't Pentecostals despised for that? Get a little excited the same people to despise it. They're the first to jump and shout when a touchdown's made or a home run is hit. But they despise the people that have the Spirit of God in them. A spirit of peace and joy. And if you have joy in you, it shows up on the outside. But here's a newspaper, an actual newspaper article from the Los Angeles Times, April 18th. 1906. This is a few days after the Azusa Street Revival started. The main headline, Weird Babble of Tongues. New sect of fanatics is breaking loose. Wild scene last night on Azusa Street. Gurgle of wordless talk by a sister. Breathing strange utterances and mouthing a creed which it would seem no sane mortal could understand. The newest religious sect has started in Los Angeles, and the devotees of the weird doctrine practice the most fanatical rites, preach the wildest theories, and work themselves into a state of mad excitement in their peculiar zeal. Boy, I can't wait to go there. <laughs> it isn't meant as a compliment. <laughs> but that's the cost. You're going to look a little weird, a little strange to the world. Are you willing for that? David was constantly on the run. Ten times in 1 Samuel, it uses words like this about David that he avoided. He slipped away. He was let down through a window. He fled, escaped. He hid himself, departed, made haste to get away. And, you know, the Apostle Paul, there was a time that, that, uh, that people tried to escape the Apostle Paul, but he, and, uh, he himself ended up having to be lowered down one day because the, 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 the people, his past life, those people are trying to now kill him. And uh, this is what it, the cost is if we're going to really be serious with the Lord. But great leadership alone does not guarantee a great church. And this is the very the most important component I want to talk about. It's you. Now, you, you can have a great captain, but you got to have a lot of soldiers and a lot of warriors. And this is... You know, David, I call this the three D's. First Samuel 22, 1 through 2. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. 
So when his brothers and his, all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him, and every one of them who was in distress, and every one was in debt, and every one who was discontented gathered to him. So he became the captain over them, and there was there were about 400 men with him. Doesn't sound like the men I want to collect to me, but those are the kind of God, men God will use. Amen. That's the kind of man he used to be. In debt, I had a debt of, of sin, discontented with life. I don't have a story of drugs. In fact, I never even did drugs in my life. My wife and I never had another, uh, neither one of us. I mean, we were heathen. Neither one of us ever had another partner ever. But we were going to hell just like anybody else and find yourself discontent with life. And Jesus saved us. Praise God. Over 39 years ago, Already, me and my bride have been, 45 years we've been married and serving the Lord. Now they got themselves a church. Got a good leader and got some some good church members. And, you know, David with those men won every battle they ever fought. Amen. We are people of victory. Amen. I'm tired of people always, woe is me. And, you know, we just, you know, hopefully I can get through another day. We're people of victory. Amen. We need to walk and live in victory every day. He already wanted for us. Amen. I catch myself sometimes. Oh, God, give me the victory. And then he reminds me, I gave it to you already. <laughs> just walk in it. Praise God. So David, he was the fighter, just like those early Pentecostal pioneers in the church that pressed through the opposition. They're the ones, you get terms like praying through and grab hold of the horns of the altar. They were called holy rollers. These were the people that turned the world upside down. And David was the fighter. He was the church builder, not a building, but building a people. Amen. Then the next generation to follow is his son Solomon, the fame generation. And I'm doing pretty good on time here. Then uh, in 1 Kings 2.12, it says, Then Solomon sat on the throne of his father, David, and his king, and the kingdom was firmly established. 1 Kings 10.1. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She heard of the fame of Solomon. 1 Kings 10.23 and 24. So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. Now all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom. God put it in his heart. Somewhere along the line, the church got famous. Somewhere along the line, the church picked up celebrities. We have preachers today that hire bodyguards. Like there's some, some hot shot or something. And, uh, this, you know, Christianity became a fad. There was one time that the, the church was rejected. Now the church has become accepted. And I think the church thinks they're being very successful or really doing something good. Because like the world's receiving us. But that isn't what the Bible teaches us. That, that you know, Christ was hated. If we're going to follow him, we will be hated. Don't go around looking to be hated. Don't go shooting your mouth off and getting people aggravated. Love on them. Let what happens, happens. All that's in you, within you, live at peace with all men. But don't ever compromise. Amen? And if they reject you, they reject you. And, and we don't marvel because the world hates us. <laughs> because they're not really hating us too much today. 
It's starting, that's starting to change quickly, ain't it? Amen. There's, there's people leaving the church today by the droves because of what's going on out there. But see what Solomon compromise came. First Kings 11, 1 through 2. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor with nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. And Solomon clung to these in love. And it lists all of these different, because I think it's a type of all the attractions of the world, all the things that our heart can, if we're not careful, our heart can gravitate. There's something out there to intrigue each and every one of us if we, we let it. And if we, and we cling to those, we'll, we'll love them. David was the fighter, but Solomon was a lover. But his love for God was changing toward the women. Solomon lived, this is very familiar to us. Solomon lived under his dad's accomplishments. Fourteen times in First Kings from chapter 2 to chapter 8, Solomon uses these words, David, my father. Meaning like, my authority is in my father. In ways that we had an elder like that in our church. And my wife picked this up one day. He, he's, he went to be with the Lord, so I can say his name it was Clyde, but he always testified about what God did to his mom and dad. And Joy said to me one day, like, do you ever notice he never says like how the Lord got a hold of him? It was always living on the generation before him. This is what Solomon is. Like, I'm living off of my dad's accomplishments. <laughs> David's my father. And you know, I just said, I don't see too many young people in here, but this is the curse of our day to think you're saved because mom and dad are. Or to think you're holy because grandma and grandpa are holy. Everyone, every young person, every old person as well, can only with their own personal relationship with Jesus. They alone got to know God and understand your kids can, even at a very young age. Um, there's a, there's still a, there was still a residue, though, in the days of, of Solomon. Um, he still had men of God around. He still had those from the, from the past days of David around him. In fir, um, he had the high priest. In 1 Kings uh, 9, uh, 11, 9 through 13, it says, So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord of, Is, of Israel, the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father, David. I will tear it out of the hand of your, uh, out of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. The reason I picked this, this scripture in here because I want us to see that God still had mercy. God still was trying to show himself faithful to Israel and he'll do that for the church today. We sang it this morning, his, that song on mercy. And we need to see that, you know, as if, if we call on the Lord, 
He isn't going to snub us. He isn't going to reject us. He embraces us with open arms like the the prodigal's father. I always preach the father more than I've ever preached the son. (laughs) Because that's the the heart of God in the prodigal father. But, uh, you know, the ark was still in Israel. David's counselors and advisors and warriors were still present. And, you know, in in Revelation 3, 1 through 2, it says, And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, These things says, The... These things says he who has the seven spirits of of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. This church is getting pretty far gone. But be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. But our works can be strengthened today. What we have of God can blossom and grow in us today. We can keep on going stronger in the Lord. Then we move on to the third generation, totally backslid. King Rehoboam. You know, of course, the kingdom gets split. And Solomon's old servant, uh, Jeroboam, he gets ten of the tribes. But it says in 1 Kings 12.8, But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him. And consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. He wanted nothing to do with the old, old, old way. They throw away the tradition. And they throw away the, the, the things that the church held to. It's like, we can do it better. We got our own way. We, we, can, we can consult among ourselves, this younger generation. We can do church better than they can. And all of this, and it's not even a church anymore. And another thing that Rehoboam did in First Kings fourteen twenty five through twenty seven, and it happened in the in the fifth year of King Rehoboam and Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem, and he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away all the gold shields which Solomon had made. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place. And committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. He made a substitute. The genuine was gone. The real was gone. They made a substitute. Tried to make it look like what it was before. See, the third generation, as they, they've settled for the program instead of the presence of God. They've settled for the gimmicks and the entertainment instead of the leading of the Holy Spirit. They've settled for human effort and Amen. Isn't it the premium today? The smartest guys everybody wants to hear. We learn by revelation, as I shared one year ago. This year, they've, they've compromised instead of having conviction. I love that word, conviction, don't you? It doesn't necessarily mean getting convicted of your sin, but it means being so determined, so established. It's so settled in my heart. Nothing is going to shake me. I'm not talking in a proud way, but just in utter confidence and boldness. In the Lord, conviction, I love it. <laughs> David was the fight, Solomon was the fame, Rehoboam was the failure. So here's where we are today, third generation church. Don't worry, I'm not going to leave you there. Praise God, I'm going to get you fired up now. No. But anyways, a recent Barna poll, and I think Barna is probably one of the most respected in the church today for uh, religious uh, polls and statistics and stuff. This is as recent as August 30th. 
of this year. They, they polled pastors, pastors now, not just Christians, pastors, and they had a list of questions. In the verse column, they had non-denominational. And they may be like the next, I didn't remember them all, because I was only worried about, concerned about two of them, since you're non-denominational in our churches and a lot of uh, our, uh, the, the people we hang with, so to speak, um, maybe like mainline, Protestant, and this and that. And then the other one was Pentecostal denominations. So that was the one I was concerned about. Because in my opinion, the Pentecostals, they have the spirit, they have the best revelation, the best understanding of the word of God. Here's the first question that was asked. It was mentioned. Human life is sacred. We, if I asked you if you think human life is sacred, I'm certain. Unless you didn't hear me, every one of us would raise our hand. 90% of the non-denominational pastors agreed. 55% of Pentecostal denominations agreed. I, I, actually, I wouldn't believe these if it wasn't... Barna that did it? I just like, I can't. I mean, that just tells me our pulpits are full of people that aren't saved. That's what that tells me. Listen to this one. I had to throw it in. Reincarnation is a real possibility. 33% of non-denominational pastors agreed with that. 43% of Pentecostal denomination pastors agreed with that. And listen to this one. I'm only sharing three of them. Determining moral truth is up to each individual. Truth is relevant, right? There are no moral absolutes that apply to everyone all the time. The non-denominationals did pretty good. Only 15% of them pastors agreed with that, which is 15%, which is still surprising. 54% of Pentecostal pastors Agreed that moral truth is, is ba- basically relevant. Boy, the truth is being exchanged for a lie today. Is it not? Isn't that going to be the work in the last days of the devil? They did not receive the love of the truth that they would be saved. You know, the truth is something the devil most vehemently attacks because that's the thing that sets people free. I'm like, why are you messing with the truth? <laughs> why are you messing with the thing that'll cure people, that'll save people and set them free? But they gotta, you gotta mess around with the truth. You know, and the truth is more than just facts. It is Jesus Christ Himself. Amen. And when you mess with the truth, you're messing with Him. If you compromise truth, you're compromising Christ. But it's not over with yet. Praise God. I know this is where we're at today. Well, I had a pastor, five pastors ago, I think I was on the board at the time, my pastor said, the statistics say your church will only get 80% full. And I was kind of punky, smart-alecky back in those early days. We're talking back in the uh, uh, 80s. And I said, hey, pastor, I, said, I, I, can, I found something in the Bible that proves that statistic wrong. I know he didn't want to hear it. He goes, okay, tell me I was in his office. And I says, well, in Mark, in the second chapter... There was standing room in the house. Only, I mean, the house was so crowded that they had to lower a man through the tiles of a roof. And I go, see, you get Jesus in the building and the church will get full. I want to tell you today, on the average, we have 20 more people in our church than we have chairs. 
<laughs> we're busting at the seams. We're hoping the Lord will give us a, a building. But in the meantime, we're, I don't know. Yeah, I think he's just doing like the fishes and loaves. He's just multiplying the room and we're there and bringing it back to normal. But you know what? The Holy Spirit is not limited by statistics. I want to, I'm telling you all this. So you know what? Take all of that stuff that I told you, throw it out the window. Get rid of it. Don't have to follow the pattern other people's have set, that other people set. When God was going to destroy mankind, he already had someone working on an ark, on, on ark to save mankind. When the priesthood was backslidden during the days of Eli and his two sons, God was already raising up a young prophet named Samuel. When the King Saul lost his anointed, his anointing, Samuel anointed another to take his place. You know, you read that the chapter before uh, the, the, the battle with the giant, it says they, the spirit of Lord came on David. It's the next verse that says, and Saul lost his spirit. I'm saying God is already putting his spirit on somebody before he took it off of somebody. He's really working ahead of time. Praise God. Before Elijah ever used his mantle to divide the Jordan, five chapters back and in another book, he laid it over his follow-up, Elisha. Praise God. God is always having a remnant. God is always having, raising up somebody. And today God has anointed saints prepared who will hear what the Spirit of God has to say, who will be filled with the Spirit, and will preach with a demonstration of Spirit and power. I'm sick of clever speech, to be honest with you. I listen to this stuff and this mumble-jumble, and it's just like, I'd rather have somebody whisper something to me of depth and power coming from God, and that will do more in me than all of this crazy stuff. It matters not how the mainstream church is. You don't have to let them drag us down. It doesn't matter what the statistics say. It doesn't matter what history showed. The Pentecostal church may be a third generation condition. Praise God, we can be a first generation church. Amen? I have actually, I didn't even think about this till yesterday or the day before. It wasn't in my notes, but I thought about it yesterday. You're looking right here at a first generation Christian. I was raised in a Catholic home. I got saved. Two of my sisters out of seven of us followed me. And Lord, my wife followed me after a little bit of, a little bit of tussle. But she came on board, praise God. She's a godly woman today. Hallelujah. And uh, so we were loners. I have three sons, Adam, Justin, and Aaron. You may have met Aaron. He's been here a few times. He got revived in 2005 or saved. I don't know. I had David Owens come and preach for us, invited him to come and drum. He didn't, uh, you know, he, he respected my relationship, but he was more interested in the world and stuff. But he got revived like I'd never seen anybody. Serious. At 25 years old, he was or something. On fire in a chain. It actually brought revival to our church. And I would say that was a tipping point right there where our church started. Something's going on here. And David Owens would go around and tell everybody, there's a church up in Wisconsin that it's having revival. Praise God. That wasn't a decrease. Uh, I believe that was an increase. God raised him up. He preaches today. And this is even the, the greatest part. He has a son named Axton, my grandson. I have 11 grandchildren, by the way. Axton turned 10 in April. But in March, he was 9 years old. And I was preaching one morning, not necessarily a sermon about being filled with the Spirit, but at the end I said, if you need to be refilled, or maybe be filled for the first time in your life, come on up, I'll pray for you, or just seek the Lord. I don't have any formula. You know, if they want me to pray for them, I will. If they can get along with God and touch Him, praise God, do it. 
And Aaron, Aaron brings up my grandson, Axton. And he goes, he's crying. Papa, I want to be filled with the Spirit. So I just pray a real simple prayer. Maybe I have to shame the myth, a little bit of unbelief in my heart. Praise God that he can believe. We need people to be able to believe. Amen. And I pray for him. And I go, I just said, Axton, hey, I says, did you speak in tongues? He goes, a little. So after the service, I go up to his wife, his mom, April, and I says, Axton told me he spoke in tongues a little. He goes, yeah, mom. He goes, yeah, he came back and he goes, hey, mom, when your tongue vibrates in your mouth, does that mean you got filled with the Spirit? And she goes, yeah. So the next several Sundays, he's up in the altar. I mean, all the young ones come up and they're worshiping the Lord. And I see Axton's hands go up. I see tears come down. A little later, he comes over, Papa, I'm speaking in tongues again. What about the fourth Sunday after that? He's up there again praying, and then he comes walking over by me. And I think he might have told me that again. And he's standing in front of me. I see his hands go up. I put my ear down there. Sure enough, he's wrapping off tongues. Nine years old, he got filled with the Spirit of God. Praise God. We don't have to follow the statistics and follow what the and and do what the, the third generation church has done. We can start this all over again. But here's what I believe. This is, I really believe this with all my heart. There's going to be an increase. And it's never going to go the other way again. This is just going to keep on building and building and building till we all just go to heaven together. And the rest of those that don't want that, may, they may be saved, but they will not be a part of the last day's work of God. God uses spirit-filled people. There's no exception to that. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of God, it's the Spirit of the Lord, right? That lifts up the standard against him. And I'm looking at the standard this morning. You're the ones that he'll raise up to stand in the gap, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. God is looking for fighters today who refuse to be stuck in their generation. Aren't you glad nobody browbeat you down in like, well, don't get so excited. You don't have to be so ridiculous about this. Be ridiculous about it. Be peculiar. You know, have a weird babble of tongues. <laughs> Wordless, whatever that the, the, the paper said. Who cares what the paper says? Huh? I can only care about what the, the paper the paper in my Bible says. Amen. So while there is still a lamp burning in the church, let's get back to doing that which is right in the sight of the Lord. First Timothy, I don't have it up there, but you know what? Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So, Lord put this on my heart earlier in the week to just Finish this by all of you in here. Whether you've been filled with the Spirit or not, you want you want you want to be filled, refilled, or be filled with the Spirit if you haven't. I just told you about a nine-year-old that just in simple, just desire for God, didn't know what he was getting into, gets filled with the Spirit of God. If you want that, this morning, you know, in the upper room. I believe the Lord showed me we're going to have an upper room experience in here this morning. But in the upper room, the Spirit came on them where they were sitting. Well, I'm going to ask you to stand. 
And if you stand, that is, a, that, that is your prayer to God. I want to be refilled with the Spirit. I want to be filled with the Spirit. Amen. This is you and God right now. You're not looking for tongues. You'll get it. You're looking to yield yourself to the Spirit of God. And I'm just going to pray a simple prayer right now. God, I ask, your, your word says that we ask the Father for the Spirit. He will give it. Amen. Lord, I don't want to have all kinds of words. I'm just asking you right now, Lord, in simple, simplicity and truth, fill us, God. Fill us afresh and anew, Lord. This world, the only answer for this world is a people whom your spirit lives in, whom your spirit works in, and your spirit touches the world. Hallelujah, God. Grant it this morning, Lord. Let your spirit fall in a mighty way. Hallelujah. Let every heart be open to receive. Don't fear anything. I just come against fear and I come against doubt in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Understand what the world, this community and the whole world needs is every one of you in here to be filled with the spirit of God. Hallelujah. Grant it, Lord. Hallelujah. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.